from the home offices of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Welcome to another episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast. Everybody, Ash and Leanne Hobson, who is the founder and CEO of Alinea Partners. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. We invited you because we came across Alinea Partners and we were fascinated because I, ho I hope I state this correctly. You can correct me. Your firm specializes in working with both vendors and partners, where consulting firms or IT consultancies might be the partners. You work with those businesses around their partner programs, partner strategies, joint go-to-markets, and, and all kinds of things. Something, actually, we have, this podcast has dipped its toes into some, sometimes, but we've never had like an in-depth discussion with somebody. <clears throat> Nothing in-depth. So because, yeah, because mostly we talk about it as part of what we do. And I think you and I have spoken about it when we've been talking about go-to-market, but we've never gone in-depth. So, This would be great to speak to Leanne just to, you know, get into this in, in a meaty way. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm looking so forward to it. Yeah, just to, to level set, you're absolutely correct. We focus on high tech and telecommunications and we work across the ecosystem, so to speak. So with vendors, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. their channel partners, which might look like a system integrator or a managed service provider, an MSP or a cloud service provider, CSP, or a distributor or a telecommunications company or... Yeah. Some people still go by VAR, but rarely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you explained a fair bit of that to me, to be fair to the listeners, in a call we had previously. And what I think was very interesting, and this is where I wanted to start, is you described that there is, uh, I'm not sure if I'm framing this correctly as a market opportunity, but you just said there's a huge um, demand or increase in interest around these partner programs and around, you know, from a vendor perspective, partnering up with someone who helps, for example, with managed services or something like that. And you've been in this space for quite a while, if I understand correctly. Can you speak to that a little bit, to your comment there? What's the what's the thing that's going on currently? What are you seeing in the market, maybe? Yeah, sure. Um, historically, this market has been very transactional. You have a piece of software or a SKU. And I like to say that uh, marketing teams have typically taken the SKU from the company and put it on the website and told the salespeople, go sell. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we've evolved, there's what has happened is that the margins on software and hardware, frankly, have become so small that companies reselling IT vendors, hardware and software really have to start moving toward a different kinds of kind of business model. And the one that includes more profit for them, they have to get it somewhere. So the first step is usually better packaging and bundling. Mm -hmm. Then the next step is typically adding managed services, which mm -hmm. are consulting services in many yeah. cases, if done correctly, um, those are the most profitable. And then sometimes you get companies also looking at investing their own in their own IP, which they can charge much more for. Um, With that move, you have 
standalone high-tech resellers moving in that direction, or the, at least the ones that are still going to be around in the next 18 plus months. Yeah. Uh, you have distributors trying to think about, you know, how can we add more value to our channel and not just be a pipeline um, from the vendor to the reseller. And on top of all of that, we have a global resource constraint um, in two areas. It, one is in deployment and implementation. So there aren't enough people around to do that, but also very importantly in the pre-sales space. So people who can go out there and really tell a business outcome discussion uh, and yeah. do that type of consulting. And so what I am seeing pockets of, and I'm certainly having conversations myself with people, is where a marketing or consulting agency company can come in and attach themselves via a partnership or other mm -hmm. to a technology provider. Yeah. And they can offer go-to-market services or advisory for those uh, for their customers. So for example, we do this currently with a, a number of companies, but one is, is cloud blue where they're trying to get people onto their marketplace or companies. And then what we do is go in and help to support the onboarding process and the expansion process. So land and expand. Yeah. So, so if, if I understand correctly, it's interesting what you're saying is there's almost like a confluence of both a push. So the, the partner firms themselves are pushing into higher value services, adding consulting capabilities and so forth. So they want to, that's their end of the market that's driving the opportunity. But then did I hear that correctly? It's also a bit of a pull from the vendor side or certain partners because they say we need someone to do the implementation, the advisory, and so forth, we, uh, either because we don't want to do it ourselves or we don't have enough people to do it. So both sides of the marketplace, so to speak, are stepping up stepping up the game. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that there's a third element there, You know, not enough resource, don't yeah. want to do it. Maybe they don't know how to do it. I mean, yeah, especially in, in the IT business, I mean, you know that People know tech and they know how to sell technology and build technology and fix technology. But when it comes to those other skills of packaging or onboarding or pushing a partnership or even selling on a business outcome on, a, on security or compliance instead of on, this is a great piece of software with super features and functions, that also be a challenge. I mean, my, my next question here in the list was a little bit like what I typically like, because we talked to the marketers and the, and the consulting firms of the service businesses, like, so the question would have been, what are the vendors' expectations? What are the, the, the technology vendors looking for? I think you described that uh, already a little bit, mm -hmm. right? They, what, what they need, they need that expertise they don't have, they need the, the resources, you say, and then maybe also even the sheer willingness of, it's just, it's never about just buying the software and then sort of slapping it in, but I need to work on processes, I need to make some organizational change happening, like all these these things. Exactly. But maybe, can I still, maybe sticking with that question, ask, but what else do they look for? Do they, is it common for them to expect, if you partner with us, we would expect you to bring in leads and business and contracts, or is that not necessarily the case? Then it's probably different from vendor to vendor, right? I don't know what you, do you see any trends so in that? Just, for, just to clarify, you mean if we partner with, a an IT vendor. 
Yeah, but so if the uh, let's put it the other way around, if is the if the IT vendor, someone creates a piece of software, I don't know, some HR solution. Now they partner with a services firm or a managed services provider. What is typically the expectation of that software producing? Do they just want them to manage the services or do they say, no, we also need you to help with new business and bring in new clients and so forth? Where's the, is, is there any trend there or is it a, it depends kind of answer? <laughs> I don't think there's any trend and I'm not even sure okay. it is a the majority of the market. I don't think we've gotten over the chasm with it, so to speak. But what I do see in early adoption is companies, let's use that model, saying, okay, we want to sell our software. Can you marketing agency or consultancy agency who has expertise mm -hmm. in human resources and yeah. employee experience come in and do the pre-sales work around employee experience importance because we want to sell Microsoft Viva in the background, for example. Um, so usually I find partnerships are work well if each party sticks to their core competency. Mm -hmm. So if you find a way to pass the baton and both get value out of it, you know, one selling the software licenses and the other one, and the maybe even the implementations, and the other one is selling the consulting piece of it, then that is probably the best route. One of the um, examples that we talked about earlier is there was a, a marketing agency called Wirehive in the UK. Yeah. And I know them because one of the things that we do in addition to offer development and channel development is we're the only company that does B2B secret shopping. So we try to buy hardware, software, and services from different types of companies. So, and, so you so you mystery shop the partner, so to speak. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it has that's, that's pretty cool. So, sorry, this is not on our list, but is this you you say you're one of the very few ones. Has is that even something that gets discussed? Like because this gets into what's the customer experience, right? Let's assess exactly. it. Exactly. Is, so that's rare, though, is it? So, uh, like, very rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just taking a note. This is interesting to me. Take, take, yeah. take a note. I will do that. But we were secret shopping them. So anyway, yeah. um, they, and, and it was a, actually a, a very good buyer experience and sales experience. And what they had done is they were a marketing agency that was managing a lot of data and they wanted to do that better. And so they teamed up or they took on the Azure Microsoft Azure platform. And then they wanted to expand. So they offered that out to smaller agencies who maybe couldn't afford to do that themselves. Uh, okay. And then they also said, if you don't have the resources, we can help you with the crunching of the data and the analytics around that. And they built themselves a really nice business. And in fact, a couple of years ago, they were bought by Pax8. All but right. that was one of the earlier examples that I saw that really worked well, um, you know, technology combining services and then expanding. So, so, so they were users as a firm, they were users first before they became partners and built a business around the product they used second, which exactly. yeah, that, that makes sense for why that, that would be important. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so secret shopping or mystery shopping or yeah. sales journey assessments, we're the only one that does it that I know of in B2B high tech to the extent that we do. Um, we, first of all, we shop as a prospect, not as a current customer. So we are an opportunity to lose. 
a deal to lose. Yeah. Win. And um, we have over, I think it, now we have about 190 different things that we look at in the journey, starting from really? search and social. We look at speeds and feeds on the website, but we also look at content mm -hmm. relevant for a particular persona. And of course, we set the persona in, in advance, you know, whether it's an SMB or, or more medium. We try to avoid anything that's too big because we'd be a key account then. And the sales team would know all about us. So it, it just wouldn't work. And then we go into the offer and the construct of the offer. We look for upsell. Then we go and do engagement. So we check chat, which is exciting. And all the different contact points to eventually having a conversation with sales. If it's for Microsoft 365, we would buy, we would maybe have one call. If it's for a Motorola solutions walkie-talkie, we would yeah. maybe have a few more. And if it's for a solution with Azure that's more complex, there may be you know three or four calls that go into it. Wow. We then go through whatever the buying process is and look to get a proposal. Mm -hmm. And then what is the onboarding process? Activation. And if so, you, so you actually so you actually do procure the solution when you go into yeah wow. uh, okay with, cool with the exception of something like Azure because we didn't want to have to buy it and then have a a Microsoft partner take it off their books you know yeah. give it back that was too much to ask for and we also don't actually procure Motorola solutions walkie talkies but we have procured Dell mobiles fascinating well um, this is interesting for two reasons this is interesting for two reasons a you almost answered the next question because we were about to ask okay so presuming we are the the marketing team in inside a partner we just partnered up with one of those vendors what could we do as marketers to to make our firm a better partner to the vendor i think you you highlighted some things there because i think the, the general answer is get better scores in one of your secret shopping assessments right so and you mentioned some of the, the points where things might go wrong but i want to get back into that but the second reason for why that's interesting to me and this is a bit tangential to the questions here on our list i just had this discussion this week with someone who's, who's not in the tech space but some other sort of capital intensive b2b space and we were discussing that my hypothesis was that the customer experience does not play a role in these spaces. No, not many firms are actually paying attention. I think the presumption still is you need our product. Here's our product. Please deal with all the nonsense in our sales process. Like we don't want to hear about it. But I mean, you having clients asking you to secret job partners seems to indicate I might be wrong. So clearly some companies do care and they do try to find holes in, in the journey there? Or do, do you have an assessment? Is that, do you think I it's think, still underdeveloped or do you think companies are paying closer attention to it? And, and I think that the majority of companies are still not paying as much attention, but that's okay. also a warning sign. Like I said earlier, if you're not moving toward profitability, it's a warning sign for the business because I mean, we've shopped over 750 different companies globally. Well, I would not have guessed that. Okay. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I would have guessed you've done that like a dozen times. Okay. That's already more companies caring for their experience than I would have guessed. Okay. Interesting. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is we get repeat performers. 
So, or we get subscriptions. We have a new client that came on that said, I love the secret shopping experience. I want you to shop us every month, a light form. Oh, right. Okay. But I want you to have a conversation with our sales team. And I want you to see if you get a proposal, because when we go through this process, two thirds of the time, when we expect to get a proposal, like sales team says, salesperson says they'll send it. We don't get it. So not only have you gone through and put resource, a lot of resource against mm-hmm. having a conversation with a prospect, but then you don't get the deal because you never sent the proposal. Yeah. So it's like a, a profitability hit plus a, a revenue hit. Um, Makes sense. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, maybe then, then getting back to the, to the question we had lined up and, and I can narrow it down a little bit because you mentioned a, a ton of stuff that you look at. So we can presume it's about to go wrong. I would argue that some of that sits more in the sales process than on the marketing end. But I picked up on on two things you said there. You mentioned the business narrative or telling the business story around a product. And you also referenced packaging. Okay, so going back to my question, what can we use macros to do to make our firm better, better partners? Can you talk about that a little bit? Like these two things, like the business story and the packaging. What is it? What are typical improvements you you recommend? Or, what, or maybe where do partners go wrong with this stuff? Uh, what what yeah. do you see there with those specifically to those two things? I think it also goes into your question about what can marketing do better? Yeah. When I think of marketing and I, at least in high tech, I don't think this is true in, in B2C, but in high tech, we tend to have more junior people taking marketing roles. And yeah. when I talk about marketing, I always say I'm talking about marketing with a big M meaning somebody that actually can sit down and calculate how many of these things we need to sell in order to reach the target. And to do that, there are there's some heavy lifting that has to be done before you ever do marketing tactics. Yeah. And a lot of people approach marketing from either, you know, let's say way off scale, which would be just events whether they're online or not, and a little bit of advertising yeah. to you know, companies that are campaign-based, which is sort of middle of the road and that's better. But a lot of the areas that we see missing, and we see this whether we're doing secret shopping or if we're doing growth assessments for companies, mm-hmm. customer insights. I was on the phone with another telco and none of their data is centralized. I spoke a month ago with a company about targeting and, you know, what types of uh, personas they should go after. And we took a look at their database and 80% were office at or similar email addresses. And they had been using this list for about two years, which means all of their marketing went to spam. Yeah. And nobody ever checks, presumably, right? Yes, two two but, things. <laughs> yeah. They I mean, just hit send on that list every time. <laughs> you know, it's like market research. People don't like to do it and they don't like to spend money on it, but yeah. they also don't like to clean the database, but it needs to be done. And it ha- you have to have somebody on board today in the marketing organization, or if you have product marketing in that order organization, that can analyze that data. The second is someone who can actually put together the right packaging and the right bundles for cross and upsell. Mm -hmm. So quite often, 
you know, the marketing team brings a lead in, the sales closes it, and then they don't talk to the customer again until there's a problem. So getting a roadmap in place of routine cross and upsell and points to have discussions on a strategic nature with customers are also very important. And I see that as a role of marketing to set that framework and that schedule. And the more advanced organizations are focusing on that customer insight and let's say product management piece, as well as the marketing initiatives. So my well, what can we do better in marketing? Make sure yeah. the marketing person's more is senior enough to be on the management team level, sitting in on those meetings, and make sure that it is not just a marketing communications role where they're creating content, but one that actually mm. moves from you know customer insight to offer development and then the marketing. Yeah. Thank you for validating that from the outside, because we, we often talk about how in consulting firms specifically uh, marketing has to step up from just being the, some sort of support function really. Right. Um, so you see that as well. More strategic role. I, we see that cool. as well. And I think we, we discussed this recently that there's, this is a bit of a simplification, but when you look at it and management consultancies, there tend to be uh, two hiring mistakes, which they frequently make the, Far more common one is just like you said, a fairly junior person is hired to, and I'm making this up by quote unquote, run our LinkedIn, right? Um, and then, I mean, their age is not in principle the problem, but they're also not given strategic guidance or they're not empowered to do some of the things you just mentioned here. So they'll post pictures of the office dog again, right? I'm, yeah, it's I'm, more I'm, of a I'm, I'm simplifying post. to yeah. not to insult people, but to make the point. So that, that's the one way in which you can go wrong. Sorry, Ash. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I was just saying it's mostly they're just hired to do tactical tasks and they're not really yeah. like empowered or educated to do what's necessary. Yeah. We I do mean, come across a second mistake though. That's more way rarer, but it exists. And that is you hire a very senior person, very strategically capable. And then A, you hang them out to dry, right? So there's no, <laughs> just no real management or executive support. And they're not resourced. So they can come up with a strategy, but A, they don't get much sign-off on it, right? Four of the seven partners will sign off on it. The other three go off and do whatever they want in their line of business. And then there's no resource and no budget. So they are by themselves. And now they could use someone to do the LinkedIn and maybe refresh it, but there's no money left and no support left for that. So that also exists here and there. Always strikes me as weird, but I, um, I have seen firms where they hired the junior person, it didn't work. Now they hired the full senior person without any support. It also doesn't work. Then they say, well, we tried everything. It's marketing. But well, just to add to that, it's partly yeah. because they don't have a growth roadmap that involves marketing. So they can't understand which phase they need to bring in. What They're just looking at the tactical thing because then they're used to yeah. selling. Yeah, which I mean, can... that's correct. Like the most of the professional services space, how do these firms grow? We call this the Rolodex-based business development, right? The <laughs> founders found a firm, they have a network, they sell in that network, referrals come back. There's always enough work to sort of grow it at industry average rates. Yeah. And that is fine as long as you manage the downsides, right? New business is typically tied to a person, to person, I don't know, not sure if you want that. The risks... The risk being you take whatever. So it's very difficult to sort of execute a concise strategy for your own firm because you always say yes when an opportunity arises in your network. 
And as long as you don't have hit the cliff, the cliff being the point in your own growth journey where just that stuff is no longer, it's either suddenly insufficient or it becomes too expensive. So it will be better to do, to do what you just said. And, and I really like your point about packaging because yeah, that is something consultancy marketers rarely if ever get to have their hands in the, the service design, the what is the managed service? How do we maybe price it to your point of being able to calculating things, right? What are the margins and so Never, it's, that's very rare. They get to come in and discuss what the website looks like when everything else has been decided. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, exactly that's, that's sort of can be a problem. Yeah, the difference between a programmatic approach to go to market and a yeah. campaign approach to go to market, and I see a lot of campaign approach even from big companies. So, I mean, making some of those improvements would definitely yeah. help people. I think you you also you sort of by inversion of that because my next question is about pitfalls. You also mentioned some of the things where it, where it can go wrong, but I wanted to to hear if you have, because you mentioned that relationships work well if there's a clear point where we hand over the baton or so forth. So maybe can you speak a little bit to where things can go wrong? Maybe that's a bit removed from marketing's role and so forth, but just how the partnerships work out. I don't know if you have any points there. First of all, I think pitfalls in partnerships would be not getting time to deal right. Meaning the sooner we close a partnership together, usually the more successful it's going to be. If it takes us months and months to do that, we're both going to lose interest and it's just going to sort of fall apart. By right, so, sorry, deal time to deal being here, time to formalizing the partnership. No, time to uh, close a deal with the customer. Going to close a deal with the customer because I, I mean, I believe in learning on the job. <laughs> and I think that if we can more quickly than not close a deal together, then we will uh, okay. no, okay. know yeah. how, yeah, we'll know how the other one works. We'll see where things maybe don't work and we can go fix those, but we have that really good feeling about, Hey, we can do this together. Let's do more. Yeah. So that's one. Second is the, the homework that has to be done in advance to make sure both can tell the story is you have to be open about who your current customers are and, and your prospects and you need to be respectful of channel conflict. So I'm not going to poach your customers. You're not going to poach my customers. If I think you can tell the story better, then I may invite you to speak with my customer. But in advance of that, we need to get the joint proposition down, which means this is what you bring to the story. This is what I bring to the story. Together, you know, we make it, it you know, the solution even better. And if that's settled, then it shouldn't matter whether I'm telling it or you're telling it because the mm -hmm. value of both should be expressed. Yeah. If that and hence the, hence the necessity of putting it down, as you said, right? So that it's the trust that everybody can tell it is clear because you've written it up somewhere once, right? Instead of just having 50,000 versions of something. No, we have one joint value proposition and we're clear on everybody's able to, to tell it, right? So. Exactly. And then the other thing, is I, I get a lot of companies asking us to partner. I'm sure you do as well. Um, and, and what they're looking for really is more of an affiliate model where they want you to give them access to your customers. Yep. And if there isn't a win for both parties, then it really doesn't make sense. So 
quite often, and marketing agencies are starting to do a lot of this. And I would say marketing agencies that do demand generation or website design, you know, we do the secret shopper program. So we have conversations with companies about the quality of their website all the time. And so they come in and say, well, when you do that, will you recommend us? And from my perspective, I'm not doing a secret shopper. I'm not doing an assessment of your buying experience in order to upsell you. I'm doing it so that you have that, you know, the valuable information you need to see where you have benefits and where you don't. And in, in those cases, if a company asks, then of course, you know, happy to share my network. Yeah. But I, we wouldn't proactively go in there and do that. So there's not a win for us in doing it, even though there might be a win for the other company. That's interesting because I believe that fully that if you start doing these types of things, these affiliate things, that erodes your credibility pretty quickly. And in fact, we have a pretty clear... Um, in my firm, I have a pretty simple rule. I never get any compensation. The same is true, by the way, for this podcast. If we ever link out to Amazon or anywhere else, it's just a link I dug up from somewhere. There's never no affiliate marketing involved. Yeah. Yeah. The running costs for this thing here come out, comes out of our pocket uh, money, mash and mine. Um, okay. That's very interesting. I especially like, like the point about uh, learning on the job, right? Not hype hypothesize and theorize forever but see if you can win something and execute together and then that that's how you learn yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah like um, something you said earlier about um the skill level of marketing when you look at these roles in b2b you know, marketing product management channel management um often i believe you have to learn on the job because it you only learn when you have the experience of, of going through it and actually doing it. It's not something that you don't go to school for channel management. No. That doesn't exist. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. And that's a yeah. hard thing sometimes to hear, but if, if you don't pay the time, you know, you're, you're not going to have that experience and really know how to handle those different situations. All right. In replacement, so to speak, for a recap or a summary, I don't know if you can have, do you have like one to three first step best practice, like basic recommendations for how to start things besides quickly finding a client and winning them together? Is there any easy right. practical tips can, like can to I, add to everything you just you already said? <clears throat> can I answer from the other side? Meaning a vendor? Sure, why not? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, and this is true for a company trying to onboard a new partner in a traditional, you know, mm. it'd be yeah. high tech scenario or onto, onto a marketplace, for example, okay. uh, you need to make sure that your onboarding is comprehensive mm. and is not just go watch these videos and here's a bunch of links to resources. You, depending on how, on how complex the product is hardware, software, and the sales process around that. If it's easy to do with one video tutorial, then great. If not, you probably need human intervention of some sort. And so I would recommend looking into that. Also, a lot of high-tech companies focus only on onboarding the technical side, you know, get your certifications in order, sign up to Mm. our tools, 
and they don't spend a lot of time on the other things that we talked about today, which is, you know, how do you take that core offer and get more out of it? How do you expand it? And what are the best practices from other companies? And very often in the beginning of that relationship, those best practices and learnings aren't shared. And companies find that incredibly valuable. So those two steps, and if it means that you have to have, you know, we run a, an MSP Academy for some of our clients where we, we do that onboarding so that you get the acceleration of the onboarding. If you can build that within your organization, and, and that's the that's uh, something that I think is worth focusing on. In addition, giving them the messaging and the customer-facing conversations to have a business outcome conversation instead of a technical one. Yeah. So just some examples. Make them aware that in Europe, there's going to be a new EU compliancy directive, NICE 2. And how does the security portfolio fit into there? And is there something else that can be brought in to make that a more of a fuller offer that you could actually consult a client on and, you know, get to the CEO level instead of to the CIO level, for example. Yeah, I, I like that point, the last point in particular, because that is, I mean, I've only sort of dabbled into these parts of spaces, but then, like we said, many consultancies we know have partnerships with technology vendors. And, and what I always think is funny is, um, or again, I'm oversimplifying to make the joke, but I think it's very true that sometimes this can be a conversation between two parties at a table, both of which expects the other side to be the better business storyteller. <laughs> and none of them are really good at it. Or maybe the tech vendor in your example is it and has it, but they didn't include it in their onboarding. And because they expect the consultancy to be fully capable. I guess I guess my point is just because it's a management consultancy or a tech consultancy with lots of industry expertise and so forth, that doesn't necessarily mean they're very good at telling compelling stories to the business audiences in, in those industry verticals. I think otherwise this very podcast wouldn't exist <laughs> because, because there's still a need in the consulting side as well to, to step up that guy. Yeah, it happens yeah. a lot in marketplaces where you know, we port our software over to the marketplace so that it can be sold. And then and there are resellers that have to go and sell it, but they don't know the solution the way the system integrator does and nobody creates the marketing the yeah. materials to go have that business conversation. So it just sits on the marketplace. Nobody sells it. That's a conversation for an entirely different podcast, I think, because I think lots of companies get, for example, credits, right? For these marketplaces. Like I do a major Azure deal. They'll hand me a bazillion Azure marketplace cloud credits. And yeah, if you can tell a good story and you have the process line up, like you alluded to, might be able to get some of these because not all of them get spent because the, the the client companies do not really understand all the stuff that's on there. So I think there is significant potential, maybe coming back to where we started, right? Like you said, in in getting the both the joint value proposition and then the, the customer experience, right? As delivered by both ends of the partnership to, to get that right. And the right uh, that yeah. easy to transact on a market. Yes. Yes, that goes into it as well. Well, that was, that was fascinating. Thank you. Very much appreciate you stopping by and talking to us about this. And I think we can conclude this here. Ash, yes. unless you have... No, I, I, I don't think I have 
further to add here. So I'll just end with the question, with the, with the obvious question, Leanne, where, where can people find you or Alania Partners if they're interested in more, or if they'd like to have their own experience checked by someone who actually goes in and buys something? Um, where, where should we point people to in the shadows? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Leanne Hobson in LinkedIn, as far as I know, that's spelled the way I spell it. <laughs> All right. Yes. And the website we'll put in the show notes, I okay. believe. And then anything else you're, you're currently working on or, or you want to plug or are proud of right now, or should people just check the website? Or they can check the website. They can, if they go to our LinkedIn site, they can download all kinds of information about different programs. And we've worked on case studies, our yeah. services, if they're interested in that as well. Brilliant. All right. We need to get the podcast secret shops for the customers. There you go. I, I just I really like that idea. It's so, it's very intriguing that, yeah, I can totally see that not many people do this. That's we could do a whole separate anyway. session on it. Yeah. And tell you yeah. all the um, yeah. good stories and bad stories. <laughs> oh my God, the things you could probably learn and don't want to. <laughs> Fascinating. That was great, Leanne. Thanks very much for stopping by. I'll, yeah, I'll stop you. the recording here and, and wish everybody a good weekend eventually. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 